like a ghost. You are, we are recording, and we have Medell Hardis. Is that how I say your name? Yeah, Medell Hardis. Perfect. Great, great. So um, we're <laughs> glad to have you on the show. Uh, we've been around since 2018. We're, we're almost at 30,000 listeners worldwide, and we wow. interview creative people from um, actors to poets to musicians. So we're glad to have you on the program. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> So you are a German musician. You're 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 living in London right now, right? Exactly. Are you, are you, yeah, and um, your music you kind of tag it as dark ethereal music, mm-hmm. and and from 2009 to 2013, you were the lead vocalist and manager of the German synth pop band. If I can get this right, <laughs> a Chromon, a Chromon, I Chromon. Yes, exactly. I-Cromon. Yeah, and so you had two studio albums, Awake from the Sleepers in 2011 and Repressure in 2013. Mm-hmm. And you co-produced and co-directed several other music videos. Mm-hmm. And That's then uh, in 20, 2015, you relocated to London, and then you composed and recorded soundtracks to several short, short films, uh, The Sacrifice mm-hmm. in 2020 and Trinet mm-hmm. in 2019, if I didn't get that mm-hmm. right. And right now mm-hmm. you've got two singles, singles in uh, 2020, The Slow Kill and Summer's Lost, that you released this year. Um, so we just wanted to give a, our fans a little background. But um, yeah, we sent you the questions, so we're hopefully we can get into it. But do you have anything you'd like to say before we get into the questions? Um, no. So like those two singles that you mentioned are basically the ones that have performed the best. I'm I'm trying to be more creative than usual this year and just trying to bring out a new single every month, which I've done for the majority of this year. Um, not all are equally successful, obviously, but uh, I'm just trying to um, to follow this new, you know, release model where you, where you basically try to not release an album, but just single after single. And it's actually quite enjoyable. Um, so, yeah. So I, I'm actually going to bring out um, a single probably before the end of this year. Um, as the last thing for this year that's interesting that's a strategy i actually been doing uh for a while mm-hmm. but i mm-hmm. also because i'm kind of a progressive synth guy you know i, I mm-hmm. use like modes and i'm kind of my heroes are like keith emerson and, mm. and yes you know and uh, mm-hmm. genesis um so it's like i i do the singles but i also do these like concept records <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i have kind of a niche market that's into that yeah <laughs> but um yeah i do see that this is kind of a spotify playlist world and <laughs> yeah <laughs> most of the musicians i've talked to are into this kind of single release every month and maybe an ep and then maybe an album but mostly singles are the strategy i've seen most bands i've talked to yeah um, yeah and i have to say like in the beginning i was thinking oh it's a shame that i'm not really gonna be releasing an album for at least a while now but I gotta say, I like you know having time for each individual song and and making a video for it and you know spending a whole month just um, having this one song out there um, because on an album you always have songs that are never really listened to as much and only the the really true fans will ever hear. Um, yeah, and this way each song gets more attention. It's kind of nice. Well, I think it's cool too because then you can have the, the artwork for you mm, exactly, single, and you can create a video and so you, like you do get to get the focus. So, mm. like, when you do an album, it's hard today. Now there are ways to get the individual artwork and little mini videos on your yeah. rec- record because now they have this little, this capable to do a canvas for every yeah. song on Spotify. So you can do, like, 15 seconds worth of a, <laughs> a concept. But, um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. So let me get to the questions I always ask all the artists. Like, when did you first <laughs> get into music? Like, at what age did you realize you liked music or you had a capability for music? Yeah, so I think I, I started um, as a child. I had, you know, the wish to learn the piano or maybe the violin. And it just never really happened, probably because I wasn't insistent enough. Um, and I was, you know, doing all kinds of things. But when I was about 15, um, I suddenly had this really strong wish to become a singer. And um, I think there were several things. There were some some albums from musicians I've heard. Um, I, I f- first heard uh, Maria Callas, the opera singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I heard an album by Mariah Carey. And it was just really inspiring. And I thought, this is what I want to do. And um, I started to take singing lessons. And um, then eventually it, it kind of just naturally progressed and I, I studied classical singing and um, that then led me to do modern music. So it was a, a long journey with, um, you know, a lot of different things that I tried. But um, yeah, I'd say with 15 was the first time I seriously considered doing it. So is your is your instrument primarily your voice or did you learn we um, other instruments like guitars and pianos or you primarily focus on vocals and lyrics well i'd say i'm I'm primarily a singer um though when you study classical singing you have to learn the piano to some extent as well and musical theory and all this kind of stuff so i wouldn't say i'm i'm the best at those things but you pick up enough um to make it you and i'm you know i can accompany myself i compose as well obviously and um i really gotten into synths uh, as well so obviously I, I i don't have all the synths i would like <laughs> yeah. but i i love to experiment with sound so um that's kind of come late at a later time so in my 20s um but i still think i'm mainly a singer that's something i, I think as a singer songwriter you know, a lot of yeah. a lot of singer songwriters might not be the best at their instrument, but I think it's the honesty mm. of yeah. the fact that that they're writing their own music. That, yeah, that, you know, technically you might not be the best guitar player, or piano player, or synth player, but when it's mm-hmm. coming from you as a, as the writer, I think that's the draw in independent music. Is yeah. that you can get people like in, it used to be like in the seventies, everybody's trying to be like Jimmy Page, everybody's trying <laughs> to be like Hendrix, everybody's trying to be like. Coltrane they're trying to be a technically perfect player and then that yeah. kind of made it so well the entrance fee into music is so high mm-hmm. how, how could you ever be in that group you're never going to be Clapton right but but the yeah. idea of like you know punk kind of brought this idea with the clash and the sex pistols that boy anybody who has some honesty and some real feeling could get mm-hmm. into it and then it kind of get into new wave and new romantic and they said well now it doesn't have to be so aggressive it can be less less aggressive and then that you can actually have this kind of independent songwriter come out yeah and and it's interesting you were in a synth pop band or a synth wave mm-hmm. band. um because that's like where i live i live i, I <laughs> grew up i'm in my 50s i grew up in the, at the beginning of the new wave movement i joined mm-hmm. was a big draw you know new yeah. Order, depeche mode duran duran and i got like well what were they playing and so i went to you like well i go found i found old jupiter's I found Jupiter mm-hmm. fours and Jupiter sixes and broken Jupiter eights and Moog, you know, mini Moogs. And I just got, you know, really caught up in that, in, in that technology of the old analog sense and the warmth, warmth of them. Um, and the field that I compared to computer based music, I just felt like the hardware sense just have something about them that mm-hmm. me drawn into them because they're like having a guitar. Like if you pick up a mini Moog, it's a lot like a guitar. It, it has a character to it. 
that allowed me to kind of like, well, you can express yourself with these things in a different way. Um, so that's how I got drawn into it. So I've always been very interested in that type of music. And it's interesting, you, you've got the classical background and kind of got the synth wave, new wave, and you're mm. a songwriter. So you've got a lot of divergent things going on in your background. So it's interesting. Yeah, there are a lot of influences from different musical worlds. Um, I think what's really interesting is, you know, when you start out as a classical singer, you obviously have to, you know, you you have to come to some kind of mastery and you just hone your skills um, over over so many years. And I appreciate when people do the same thing, you know, with synthesizers, there's just so much you can learn about sound and about how to bring it all together. I know some people who have, you know, amazing studios filled to the brink with synths and <laughs> every kind of microphone and every kind of thing that will change the sound. So I, I really appreciate that. And um, I am not at the same level with with my um, with my sounds than I am with my voice, but I still really enjoy you know what you can do and creating textures and different layers and yeah, just making something that is that evokes emotion. So with your voice, do you like to do the kind of like Phil Spector kind of wall sound layering of your voice when you learn music theory? Do you do like shadow vocals or the different techniques of you know laying down? like different layers and, and understanding how that can work. Cause I guess, you know, when you learn music theory, you can find out like, Oh wow. Mm -hmm. With the synthesizer, you can lay down all these kind of shadow pads mm -hmm. and build something up. And I know that you can do that with your voice. Cause I saw, I've seen some documentaries with um, like mm -hmm. uh, the Beatles, George Martin talking about mm -hmm. production and Phil Spector and other people talking about production. So it's a question like with your voice, do you yeah. like, like harmonizing with yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do that quite a lot. Um, when you when you have a classical training, then you learn how to construct music. Basically, you do both. You try to compose, but you also try to take things apart that already exist. And you learn from both. And um, I think a lot of that knowledge just becomes kind of second nature. And you listen to so much music that all that I do, I really just do on intuition. So mm -hmm. obviously with chord structures, sometimes I, I consciously decide what I want, but most of the time I just play and feel my way along and um, just, um, yeah, just trying to find something that feels right. And the same is when I, when I do layering, most of the time I'll just switch on the microphone and I just uh, overdub until I have something that I really like and it comes in the moment and um Especially the, the the best ideas that I have are the ones where I don't think at all and I just follow my intuition. That's that's really interesting. After talking to mm -hmm. a lot of musicians for like two to three years, um, you have you have some people who are very like technical composers. You know, mm -hmm. They tend to be more producers, and they're yeah. very much into that like prearrangement. But a lot mm -hmm. of artists I've talked to will say, "Let's like, yeah." Every time I try to go and compose something technically and really break it out it never mm -hmm. matches the honesty of this kind of pulling from the universe kind of muse kind of off you know in mm -hmm. the moment the, yeah the in the moment things that i come up with always seem to be superior to the things i try to struggle with yeah <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be that's... the consensus with most of the people i've talked to <laughs> yeah i think that's very true and you know when you because i do my own production as well it's two different brains that you use. So you have the creative side and once that is finished and I have everything where I want it, then the rest is really just work and following a lot of rules. Um, obviously you also listen and try to make things work, but um, when I compose, I don't really have any rules. I just try to do what feels right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that works out most of the time. 
<laughs> yeah, cause like when I'm with the band, you know, I might come in with a demo, but mm-hmm. if we start jamming, sometimes I'll just throw out the demo and say, you know, what we came up with in the jam session is actually better. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so yeah. it's like, well, I may take pieces of what was in my demo um, mm. as a reference, you know, and then kind of re- let let it let it kind of work itself up. I mean, yeah. so, so it's interesting. There's like a lot of times, you know, that you do have to kind of feel the universe it's interesting like the, the robert moog the guy who came up with the moog he, he he's an inventor but in his manuals when you buy a moog it said you know i let the universe kind of guide me when i built these machines which was mm-hmm. a really interesting thing for for an engineer to kind of talk like a musician in terms of even the design of the moog was kind of like he kind of let it just you know he had ideas but he kind of let inspiration come from from a muse just like a musician or a poet which is, mm-hmm. is really interesting. I think that's why a lot of people like those instruments is because they have that kind of feel. Um, I think it's very true. And I think when you do that, you draw from just a deeper source, like everything you've ever heard, experienced and known. It just, when you get to the, that deeper level, you just draw on that knowledge that you don't necessarily have actively when you try to come up with plans. Um, so of course it's going to be, it's going to be better. Yeah. That's it's really cool. But so, so, the one thing, um, so you've been working on music since you were like 15. Mm-hmm. So when did you realize that you wanted to write your own material and you wanted to go and, you know, and, and, and go into like not be classical oriented mm-hmm. and go into like pop oriented music? Um, yeah. I guess as a classical musician, there's a whole path you could go. But you chose oh, to yeah. go the other it's way. A... Exactly. Yeah, it, it was kind of a conscious choice. So I studied and I studied for about three years and I felt myself getting more and more unhappy. I, I still love classical music and I am actually planning to do some classical projects um, because why not? But um, th- that classical way of singing at an opera house or doing concerts and doing classical recordings and all that, you always have 50 people around you who give you input on how you're supposed to do things. So of course you will bring your own way to it, but you have the composer, you have the lyricist, you have a director, you have a conductor, you have people that you work with. There's the traditions of how this music has been done over the centuries. There is a lot of responsibility and you have hundreds of recordings of how other people have done the same material. It's a very, restrictive world at least it felt like this for me and Mm -hmm. after a few years I realized that I'm I'm just not happy with that it kind of makes myself feel anxious and and smaller and um, then kind of by accident I discovered a lot of bands like the ones that you mentioned and and you know in, in the beginning also some metal bands progressive rock and I was listening to that a lot and I was thinking I really love the freedom of this and um I just reached out to a few bands. I found some musicians. I I joined my first band. And after a few months, I realized this is what I want to do. This exact thing where I can be on stage. I can be myself. I can be creative. I can write lyrics and melodies. And uh, around that time, Icromon was founded. I found a a partner who was doing the compositions. I was doing um, the melodies and the, the lyrics. And... I knew, okay, this is the way for me. And I, I dropped out of university and uh, just went for it. That's interesting because I was reading about, I always read biographies of all kinds of musicians. And Tori mm-hmm. Amos, you know, the famous piano player, oh, yeah. she she was in a conservatory and, mm-hmm. and she just 
didn't feel it. You know, she felt pop. Yeah. But she took that classical background and, you know, she used it to kind of merge mm-hmm. that classical capability on the piano into pop. Yeah. And it, I always think it's really cool when somebody goes and takes like a genre like Steely Dan took jazz and fusion mm-hmm. and then put it into rock and then yeah. work with Motown session musicians to build these kind of really complicated pop songs that normally you couldn't, you wouldn't even think of doing it that way. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's just they, anybody who merges like Hendrix or you get like bands like Sun Ra, you know, an American, you know, uh, experimental bebop jazz band that, that mm-hmm. actually was one of the first jazz bands to use a Moog synthesizer back in the, like 57, 58. And, and it's like mm-hmm. every time I see uh, somebody that kind of pushes the envelope or, or changes or mixes genres, I'm, very, I'm always very keen to listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lou Reed and the Velvets with Andy Warhol. You know, that to mm-hmm. me was like, that was a big point for me as a, as a musician to see what you could do with like minimalism and kind of, yeah. you know, noise and, and poetry, like spoken word and taking spoken yeah. word and putting it into, into music and saying, you know, that you can do that. Um, so yeah, I, I like the idea that in, in, in more in like you know popular music, that they, they the rules and there are some producers that try to create rules, um, but but you know it, it, it's kind of wide open if you're willing to push it, you know. And, and that's yeah. what I, what I like about it is that you you don't have to stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's it's not all about you know achieving commercial success what whatever that even is it's for me firstly it's about expression self-expression and sharing how i see the the world with others and if that means something to them even better <laughs> but um it needs to feel true to myself yeah that's cool because there's some people that they want to they want to get like on that big train and and be like in the top 10 top 30 top 40 and then they allow mm their music they kind of get molded and once in a while you'll get a band that actually has an honest original idea that gets there um but mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of times today you get people trying to run formulas uh, to, yeah. to, to get there and it doesn't seem as like if i go listen to pop charts of 74 or 82 mm. or 92 it just seems like there's a little bit more innovation um or people allowing people to do things than it seems like today there seems to be some set formulas going on um, not yeah, that there absolutely. aren't places where there are people trying things in the kind of different areas like on the net, like on YouTube and the SoundClouds of the world. Um, but yeah, I tend to go with independent musicians that I like to talk to just because I want to hear other voices. Like I grew up with college radio in the United States, and that's where you hear bands like REM. You know, you heard band, like the, the bands that nobody thought were going to make it, and then they did. Like early U2, it was like co- broken on college radio. And then they became super big. But it just seemed to me like I like hearing, you know, what's new, what hadn't been heard or unexpected, um, which is why, you know, I do what I do. <laughs> but um, it, it's interesting. You see your influences you mentioned, but maybe we could kind of dive into it a little bit. So when you, mm-hmm. were, you were learning, you had classical influence and then you kind of you also have like pop oriented influences. Maybe kind of talk about maybe both of them. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, with classical music, I was always a big Mozart fan. It's just the the amongst the opera composers, he's just the one that I always connected with the most. Um, a lot of the music that people know from Mozart is the more you know cheerful and happy and 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 um, witty type of music. 
but he can also be or like very deep and there's a lot of darkness there if you if you if you can find it mm-hmm. um so i was always drawn to those kinds of arias and pieces and uh then schubert and schumann basically art songs are something i really love because again there's a lot of darkness and a lot of poetry it's often based on poetry um and that really appealed to me and um and on the modern side of things I think one of the first real big influences for me was Björk. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah I really, really, yeah, she's just amazing. I mean, on all levels, vocally and, and uh, in regards to composition and sound. And visually, she, too. Like her visual. Yeah, visually as well. Yeah, exactly. So I think I saw her the first time when I was like 11, 10 or 11 years old with you know she had a song in the charts i think and and i was just thinking oh my god what is this this is really weird and really interesting um and i've been intrigued ever since and there are some amazing songs she's done and um a lot of the bands you mentioned you know from the 80s um obviously that fish mode um uh, there there's there's probably too many uh, yeah the whole new wave era just was to me as as a synthesis yeah you know like joy division i like the starkness of it and a lot mm. of people might not even pick up that there's synthesizers going on, but there's there yeah. are synthesizers in Joy Division records, and it's very mm. sparse, and it's, yeah. it's really cool because if you're a synthesizer player, sometimes that kind of sparseness of it is is the innovation and stuff like Brian Brian Eno did with Bowie was very yeah. experimental, like low in Heroes that type of work. And Joy Division is kind of like the one of the first bands to kind of do that very sparse kind of early new wave. They were like one of the first new wave bands kind of picking up craft work stuff and doing yeah. it in a, in a very sparse way. And I, I've always been like a big fan of, of people that, that innovate with synthesizers. Even like, yeah, like Pete Townsend. Um, he's a guitar player, but if you listen to like Barbara O'Reilly or Won't Get Fooled Again, his use of sequencing and envelope mm-hmm. followers and all kinds of cool techniques sometimes a guitar player approaches a synthesizer totally different than a keyboard player. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you'll get like something out of it. You know, even Eddie Van Halen would like jump to how he approached an Oberheim synth and did, yeah. did the chord arrangement. There's just things that sometimes people coming from a different instrument approach another instrument in a different way. And I, that's always been a big key for me. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to to look at music from different perspective and and as you said before, like melt different influences. Um, I think jazz is a big influence for me too. Um, you know, um, Ella Fitzgerald, it's just some amazing stuff out there mm-hmm. that I that I used to listen to, and um, and also things like bands like Daft Punk. Okay. I absolutely yeah. I mean that just blows my mind, and and all of these things in in some ways in, influence me. I, I mean personally, I make more as I said like dark ethereal music. Mm-hmm. It's usually very slow and very melancholic. Yeah. Um, I also collaborate with other musicians on more um, like faster types of music, um, more in the synthwave direction or even mm-hmm. gothic. So everything in between is is kind of the thing that I like, and um, yeah. What I like about Slow Kill and Summer's Lost is I like a lot of piano in my music. You know, I, mm-hmm. I use like Roland pianos and Yamaha pianos just because I, I, I like adding the piano. Can I think a piano is like an acoustic guitar. And if yeah. you're writing a music, it can evoke a lot of emotion. And, mm. and I, like, I like running at the low BPM. You know, as an electronic musician, a lot of people run at like one, 
160, you know, 220. They get really high BPMs. But I mm-hmm. like I like being at like 40 or 30 BPM. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, because then you can kind of do like a dirge. You know, you can, you can let it space out, right? And then mm-hmm. you can start throwing in all kinds of effects and, you know, gr- uh, granular synthesis and, you know, field recordings. And it kind of gets into this kind of Pink Floyd thing where you can mm-hmm. layer things. And I always like the idea, like Hendrix and uh, George Martin talked about sound paintings. Because mm-hmm. like George Martin, yeah. when, when he produced the Beatles, that kind of layering you got on Sgt. Pepper's, it kind of comes from the fact that George Martin had actually produced Peter Sellers' com- comedy records in the late 50s. And all mm-hmm. those records had all this layering of effects and all kinds of things that were going on with backward tape looping and all these things that everybody thinks is like comes from Sgt. Pepper's, but he was actually doing that on these Peter Sellers comedy mm-hmm. records. And, mm-hmm. and actually the Beatles were fans of that. And mm-hmm. when they came to Sgt. Pepper's, they kind of took the fact that George had that in his toolkit. They he mm-hmm. knew how to do those things. And they, they talked about like music in terms of like looking at a painting, like a Monet. He's like, you don't yeah. always show you don't necessarily, he didn't say, I don't need to actually capture you guys like you're playing in Germany. I want to capture you guys like like how you couldn't really play. Like maybe we can do something in a studio that you can't do live. And mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you end up layering something into what is a sound painting. And Hendrix said the yeah. same thing about Electric Ladyland. Because people ask him, like, yeah. why, why do you hear these birds and weird cosmic sounds? He said, well, it's a sonic painting. And that mm-hmm. always kind of appealed to me that like you can actually use the studio to create music that's beyond just like the obvious thing that you can play live, but you can turn it into more of a, you know, ethereal thing that you can use your imagination is what, what you're actually listening to has a little more depth. Yeah, I think it's very true. You know, it's, it's great to, to have like a lower tempo because you have just more space um, that you can fill with, you know, nuances with the voice, it's the same. You just give it more space to, to breathe. And I really like this metaphor with the painting. I'm, I'm sitting in my room and I'm looking at a painting that I've done because I do that for fun. And I'm realizing that I have like a similar approach for music than I have for doing that. Like just, it's just the way you compose. It's similar in art than it is in music. You just try to create something that works together. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a lot of, you know, I also have these questions about like recording techniques and I would just mm-hmm. say like my recording technique, I, I, I tried using DAWs and I just didn't like them because I actually, you know, I'm in my fifties and I used to use Fostex and Tascam, you know, mm-hmm. tape recorders yeah. and I would capture all my modes and all my hardware sense, you know, quarter inch line into a hardware recorder. And I mm-hmm. decided I still do it that way because there's something about being able to directly record and not have a limitation of a computer compressing to something or doing something and then actually having to play it until you get it right. You know, so I'll go back mm-hmm. and keep on playing a part and then layer them on a hardware recorder and then eventually get it to like a wave file. But I just like that the idea of building the song kind of like an old school way that they was done in the seventies and eighties before computers because then you just you can do whatever you want, you know, and it's a little harder to keep things together because you don't have the added computer assistance, but it's just a different way of doing it. I actually find it's more free. Um, yeah, it, 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 I think limitations can have a sort of freedom. Um, I know a lot of filmmakers that love to shoot on film 
like actual film, not digitally, which is nowadays uh, the majority of filmmaking, just because the limitations are really nice. Obviously, you get a different quality of the image. And with the sound, it's the same. You get a different quality. There's something to it that just feels like it's, you know, it has more character. It feels more um, organic. There's stuff I, I yeah, feel exactly. more stuff coming through onto the tape yeah. than I get on the digital. For some reason, the digital, I, I hear things getting compressed. And if I'm mm -hmm. using analog instruments, if I'm using a Yamaha piano, I'm using a Moog, or I'm using like a Prophet 5, I really don't want to get them clipped by, mm -hmm. by a computer. Because there's something about yeah. the signals on those things that are so big and they're so fat and they're so warm that sometimes the mm -hmm. digital stuff just takes it out. And I just like, well, yeah. I'm not going to take it out. <laughs> It just makes it all sound the same. And I think that's the problem with, you know, the really popular music nowadays, that it all is so cleaned and so perfected and so dehumanized that it, it, it doesn't have, it, it doesn't feel real anymore. It doesn't sound real anymore. Yeah, it is a little too clean. I mean, I hear the bells, you know, digital stuff, you can do really good bells. You can do mm. very good percussive, like wood blocks and stuff. But when it comes to like analog sense, have such a wide bandwidth when you record in some ways I, I heard stories that recording engineers started going against analog sense when the dx7 from yamaha came out because the mm -hmm. fm synthesis didn't take up as much bandwidth in the mix right? mm -hmm. and so there, it started this kind of clean nature that we continues to today with the soft sense mm -hmm. where everything's kind of clean and too perfect and you know engineers like it but it's like you know I understand why they like it, but it's like it takes the takes the kind of heart out of some of what was done. Because if you listen to like Pink Floyd or Yes or Genesis, you don't hear a lot of electronic bands sound like that anymore because they're, they're mm. running too too many digital synths, and you don't hear yeah. the Hammond organs, you don't hear the Wurlitzers, you don't hear the Moogs, and there's something about those on those old records and even on vinyl that you just can't capture digitally. Um, and so, like, I'm kind of a pure electronic musician. People are like, oh, you're electronic, you're a DJ. It's like, no, no, I'm a kind of like Moog, Hammond, B3, mm -hmm. Wurlitzer guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a different thing. It's like, you tried to tell people, like, electronic doesn't just mean, like, DJ or EDM. It's like, it goes back to, like, you know, Keith Emerson and, you know, like, Bernie Worrell from Funkadelic. It's like, that's a different type of uh, electronic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I definitely agree. I mean, I, I have to say I do a lot of music on the computer. I have a piano and I, I start all my compositions from there. And I think I do that because you need something real. I mean, I have my voice, which is real. And then with the piano and the voice, you can just do something without having to open your laptop. Yeah. And that is where it all happens. That's where the magic happens. And then the rest is, is you know, dressing and, and, yeah, there's sound design and all of that. And to be honest, if I could, I would definitely want to work more analog than I, that I am doing. Yeah, um, yeah, I think people yeah. are able to, they, they, you know, it's something that's like a luxury, you know, yeah. unless you happen yeah. to have them. It's like in, the, in today's world, it's like your phone. You're, like, you're not going to carry a record player around because yeah. your phone is going to be easier. But if you couldn't, can't yeah. listen to music, I'd rather listen to it on vinyl but I can't bring mm. my vinyl player on the bus. So, so, <laughs> no. so, so then, so, okay, well, then I got to compromise. But, but yeah, and then you have to deal with it. You can get access to a million sounds on your computer. 
you're on, mm. on a mini Moog, you know, you probably got me you know, hundreds of thousands of sounds, but not a million sounds. So, um, mm. so, so yeah, I can understand why a lot of people, even in hip hop, you know, you don't have the room or access if you're living in Brooklyn to a big, yeah. big thing. So, yeah, is this the it's kind of like a compromise? I mean, I have my digital stuff, I have my analog stuff, it's just I have a lot of more analog, <laughs> mm. but, uh, <laughs> but, um, so, so when you record today, uh, mm-hmm. have you been able to get to studios or are you just doing everything on a DAW at home and sending it like via like the internet or are you able to physically get to a studio and what's your preferred method I guess pre-COVID or even during COVID mm-hmm. recording do you like to physically go to studios or do you do stuff from home and then work with producers yeah so I've, I've done both um, there's obviously a lot of comfort when you're in the studio because that implies there's someone else who takes care of of the, the sound and the mix and everything and you you just go there and all you do is sing at that moment or you know play an instrument and that's really nice because it makes you it enables you to just focus on that but i mean there there's for financial reasons and also for being independent and on, on, on autonomous especially this year I do prefer the the home recording for the moment because I have my setup. Um, it's there. I never take it off. Like I have my little booth with everything ready to go. So whenever I feel like now I'm going to write a song and now I'm going to record something, I can do that. I can do that in the middle of the night. It's it's very convenient and it serves my needs best. I it took me some time to find a microphone that I really like and that is affordable. Mm-hmm. But I found uh, found one. Don't ask me which it is. <laughs> I, for, I forget well, these what, things. What's your favorite microphone? What's the one you like to use? Oh, the one I would love to use is a Neumann. Oh, um, everybody, everybody I, yeah, but <laughs> I I tried that once. Uh, I think in the studio it's a it's a two K microphone that uh, <laughs> I can't afford at yeah, the moment. Yeah, yeah, but I have one that I really like and that has a really nice and warm sound. And that's that's the main thing for me. My piano's there. Everything is ready to go. Um, and I work with, with Logic Pro. That's how I learned to to produce. Um, I, I used Cubase in the past as well, but I, I kind of got stuck on on Logic Pro. Um, and it's it works for me. I know I know how to like. I have a shorthand with all of these things, and so I can really just focus on being creative. I think that's great. I mean, I, I've been you know I I I have always had a home studio. I've been like this mm. in, the, in the, I invested in it as soon as I started getting my analog sense just and i have like a bedroom studio and kind of like whenever i want to i just do what i want and um mm. and i always thought it was you know a good way to connect i even have it set up so i can run cameras and do like live shows from my home studio and so mm-hmm. so i just feel like during covid before covid i used to do it uh, i was on twitch and facebook live three years ago d- doing mm-hmm. it and it's just kind of like now the world kind of caught up to where I, what i was doing all the time <laughs> but um uh it's this interesting where you know i would go to new york and i go play and i pack everything up and get road cases and get roadies and do it all um but now i like i can just i can just stay in my studio and, and, and it's like wow that's cool I, I don't have to actually pack this stuff up and go but um mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it is uh, the one thing I just miss though is the feedback of playing live. Because if I go to New York and play in a club in New York, even if it's only three, four hundred people, that when you get that kind of live feel, I think as a musician, you know, even like a keyboard, I, I can kind of I, I'll, I'll I'll play differently if I feel the crowd giving me a vibe. Yeah, and it just it will bring out things that maybe I wouldn't have done. 
if I if I just played in my studio. Yeah, that's very true. It's just a very different thing. It's a thing completely on its own, and it's irreplaceable. Like I've um, I've done uh, actually this week I've done a, a YouTube concert <laughs> um, of some sort, um, and I've done like various things online but it's nice but it's it's not the same when you are in a room with people whether it's 10 or 100 or 1000 there's just something there that uh yeah you you feel everyone everyone's attention and everyone's feelings about what you do and that's just irreplaceable yeah i think musicians we kind of like are very organic in our our approach you know it's like an actor mm. that does like a broadway stage yeah he's doing film and tv Mm. You know, some actors will say, well, I really like it when I'm on that Broadway stage in New York or the opera yeah. because they get that immediate feedback. Not that yeah. you don't get it from the director, but you get it from the crowd. And I think I think I think an actor or, a, a, you know, a poet or a musician, when you pick up that feedback from the crowd, it, it just comes back. It's like bi-directional, like, you know, in the moment. It's it is nothing like it. A lot of musicians kind of yeah. feed on it, and and some musicians have a hard time without it. You know, they kind of depend on it, um, and it's harder for them to be as creative without it. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, this year I've done a lot of collaborations with people, but it was all online. So you never get to see the person. You're never in the same room. You never get the opportunity to just, you know, jam and experiment, just, you know, letting go and, and seeing what happens. It's much it's much more efficient, of course, because you send one file, you get one back. There's a back and forth. Uh, it's very clean and fast, and that has advantages. But I do miss, you know, the actual exchange that happens when you are making music with people. Yeah, it's like the different, like when I used to play with my band, you know, I, and I was like the primary mm. writer, you know, mm. I come and I have the bass lines, I have the drum beats worked out, I have the chord patterns all worked out. But then it's like, okay, if I do a bass on my Moog, I can do pretty good, but but a real bass player is going to bring something to it, right? So I get to the practice <laughs> and they reinterpret the bass line and I'm I, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I know you're going to do what a bass player is going to do. I did what a Moog can do. Well, you're going to do mm -hmm. what a real acoustic bass can do or real electric yeah. bass can do. And it's that kind of kind of give and take as, when you're composing with a band, you know, that, that yeah. everybody brings something to it. You know, the, chord, the chords change, you know, in, in, in the tone and the color. Like you might, you know, pick beetle chords versus like, you know, different type of chords, like jazz oriented chords or fusion, you know, rap, whatever. Mm -hmm. It just, that, that, kind of collaboration is what what's the key secret sauce to everything <laughs> yeah you know? yeah yeah it's the, the sum is really more than the parts and there's just something magical that happens when everyone with their influences and their experience brings something different to it and yeah it creates something new and you, you create it on the spot in every rehearsal every show is going to be slightly different yeah, it's, it's, it's always to me what I love about music is like a lot of things today when we talk about being too perfect. Some of the greatest music I've ever heard is now, the, the reason it sounds good is that there actually was a, was a mistake, right? Mm -hmm, there was mm -hmm. like a key change that wasn't expected or it's a little off on the rhythm or, or the singing's a little not as perfect as maybe it could be, but it has an honesty or changed the mm. structure in a way that actually made it a better song. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, I could never imagine, you know, the Beatles songs in the way that are, that music is recorded today. It would be 
it just wouldn't be right. Like there's there's so much character in in every you know every backing vocal in every uh, piano line. Like it's just very different um, from what we do today. And um, yeah, it's like a lot. I think yeah. the chaos is taken out. I think a lot of times people mm-hmm. don't realize there's a certain level of chaos or a certain level of imprecision in music. Mm. And like in jazz, it's totally understood. You know, when I played jazz. Yeah. Like there, we go off and we do key changes. You go and do things, you know, you kind of go into chaos and you come back. Like, like, yeah. like in fusion, fusion, you'll go off and then you come back, mm-hmm. you go off, you come back. That's kind of what it is. You have some central themes and you're allowed to kind of, you know, everybody comes back. But, but yeah. in pop music today, there's like, there's less of that. There used to be more of that. You know, if you listen to Jimi Hendrix, yeah. Mitch Mitchell as a drummer mm-hmm. is not keeping the beat he's kind of mm-hmm. soloing through the whole song kind of like keith moon in the who he would solo through the whole song he wasn't a precision mm-hmm. drummer and i kind of, i always like drummers that are like mitch mitchell or keith moon they're less precise because i think mm-hmm. that brings character to the song and today you have so many producers who are like oh go do it again you got to get perfect 120 perfect 130 like no yeah sometimes it's good to have that low a little bit of chaos a little bit of off the beat you know that that kind of actually yeah. makes the song sound better. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just dynamics. I mean, it it needs to be lived. Um, and in classical music, that's totally no, totally normal as well. That you have tempo changes all the time. Um, it's it's something that comes out of whoever is doing the music together. It it becomes something. It 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 sounds different. It yeah. feels different. It the tempo has to be different. It has to adjust yeah. to the to the person. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something I always try to tell some of the younger kids. They're like, why is the beat shifting so much when I'm on the grid? But, mm. Because like that's the way I write it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, and I kind of want it that way. But um yeah. uh yes, yeah, so it's interesting. So you said you use logic, you're using your home studio, you have used traditional studios. And yeah. I know you you played live probably you know when you were in your band um before you um after you left your band before covid were you playing live mm-hmm. well actually the last two years i focused more on filmmaking mm-hmm. um so when i came here in 2015 i was coming here to study screenwriting and then i just uh, started out in film production and i've made some short films i scored music for some short films and i mainly focused on that and only about two years ago, I started to properly work in music again, and now it's my main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the last few years, I had you know the odd concert here or there, but um, I actually haven't gotten the chance to properly get back to the stage. Um, obviously, during Icromon, I had a lot of concerts and was on stage a lot, and that was really nice. And beforehand, when you're a classical musician, you also are constantly on stage. Mm-hmm. and that's very different from, you know, as a modern musician, because you have in classical music, you have no technical assistance. Yeah, yeah. Usually. Yeah. Um, and then when you start out playing with a band, suddenly there's all kinds of things. There's a microphone and there's a, there's a monitor and then there's the PA. And in the beginning, it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting because, um, you know, the Beatles, you know, they became, they were the big touring band and then they said, we're not touring no more. And they kind of, on the art and I always thought that was kind of cool because I don't know if you would have got you know you know, like the White Album and Abbey Abbey Road if they were always Mm -hmm. touring because there was so much focus on the actual craft of music and I think it's it's really good uh, for bands to spend time crafting because a lot of bands they get 
stuck on the kind of touring kind of mm. kind of thing, and then maybe they get two three weeks to record an album, and then, yeah. and then they you know and they don't have that time to actually put into it. And, and one thing I've talked to a lot of bands during COVID is they've kind of used it as a you know a bit of a blessing, and they can actually mm-hmm. spend time crafting their art more time yeah. than they ever had before um, to actually put something together that may be a little more ambitious than what they were going to do before. Um, is- yeah, I find, that, I find that very true. I mean, this whole year obviously was difficult for, for many reasons, but um, in regards to music and, and being creative, it was re- a really good year for me because I, beforehand I was always busy with a lot of film-related things and that can take up a lot of your time. And um, I was kind of... I was not having the amount of time for music that I would have needed because nowadays, if you want to, you know, find your following online, you have to release on a regular basis. You can't just release a song every half year and that's it. There has to be more. Um, and yeah, this year gave me the, the, the right momentum to do just that. And I've, I don't think I've ever produced so much music at such a short time. Um, and it's, it's been really great because you know, I'm as I'm a filmmaker, I I can make my own music videos as well. So I could use my home studio to create a song and then socially distant, make a video um, and then put it out there. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do that if it wouldn't have been for the craziness that this year was. So does film really help? Because today, a lot of musicians were kind of without being able to perform and the way we get paid through streaming services, you know, a lot of musicians, mm. they make money. The bands I talk to, they make more money selling a T-shirt than mm. they selling a button or a poster than they do selling a record. And then the yeah. other way they make money is actually doing a live show. So, you know, mm. whether they're in a van or a little bus driving all over the U.S., they make more money doing a show and then at that show selling a merch than they actually mm. make off of the streaming. Um, and then without that, being able to stream... Um, they, they, they're having a hard, harder time actually, you know, paying their bills. Um, yeah. they didn't have those other sources like sync licensing or doing films or doing advertising. Mm. So since you're doing films, have you been able to like entertain the other things like sync licensing and, and, and other types of, uh, linkages to, to get your art out in other ways than just standard music distribution? Well, to be honest, I mean, I've I've uh, done film music. Um, I haven't really done this for someone that wasn't directly related to me project-wise. So I've mainly done it for people that I personally know or myself. Um, so I haven't done any any uh, true licensing yet. Um, I've been very lucky because in the last few years, I managed to to make take make my income from art um, in in different ways. So I do a lot of art-related marketing, um, crowdfunding, music marketing, and those sorts of things, helping other artists to, to get their projects off the ground, mm-hmm. which is really rewarding and really interesting because you get to meet so many interesting people from, from all over the world. Um, I'm with a, a crowdfunding platform called Greenlit, and they're focusing solely on art crowdfunding. Um, and so that's something I, I, I kind of had you know, the ability to to decide a few years ago whether I wanted to make music, uh, money directly directly from music. So I had some offers for cover bands that are really well booked um, or doing music abroad, you know, in hotels and stuff like that. And on the one hand, it's always very tempting to think, 
I have to do nothing else. I just do music during the day. I can write my own music and in the evenings I just play. Um, but it just wasn't really for me. And I think this is, you know, the better combination for me. And I decided that I want to be completely autonomous with how I make my music. I don't want to depend on it financially at the moment. So I'm completely free to say, you know, fuck this. I don't want this. I don't want to make this style of, of, of music anymore. I switch to something else just because I feel like it. Um, that's yeah. And so that, yeah. Yeah. that's what's yeah. good about being an independent artist i think a lot of yeah. people it used to be like you know when i was coming up uh when i was like in my teens you know playing like pizza bars and stuff um mm-hmm. everybody wanted to get on a small indie label and get in a mm. line band and go driving around um but yeah. but i kind of got into this idea well you know what i'm gonna have a good day job i'm an it guy right so i do like uh, mm. information technology i've got enough yeah. money that i can do what i want and i kind of decided i just i'm just gonna write the kind of music i want and find and see if the audience just finds me and, and yeah. over time i've been able to build up an audience through, through the podcast i found another way to do things through this podcast i found other ways to do like influence marketing different stuff like that and so i can kind of do what you're doing i i, I can create mm. the ghost music the way i want without any producer or company telling me oh you can't do that um yeah and i I, that to me has been very satisfying because then i can just work on whatever project i want collaborate with people i just collaborated with a poet from canada uh some Mm. spoken word stuff i i was doing some stuff with some models in sweden on some different edm type of projects and you can just do whatever you want you know and you don't have to have somebody tell you oh that's not gonna work it's like well you know you you don't control (laughs) that (laughs) <laughs> exactly it, it gives you a lot of freedom especially like you know the mental freedom to not feel obligated to do something in a, in a certain way and um i you know i i know so many musicians um from you know the, the niches that i've been in and they have you know thousands sometimes a hundred thousand <clears throat> sorry a hundred thousand fans and they still have a day job because it's just um yeah. it's just difficult to finance your your life as a musician, as you mentioned, I mean, streaming platforms play ridiculously yeah. little money for, for streams. And I have, you know, I have like a kind of divided opinion myself about that because on the one hand, it's great the way that everything works nowadays because we have the opportunity to reach people all over the world with our music that would, it would never have been possible in the same way 10 or 20 years ago. On the other hand... Obviously, it's not really fair the way musicians are paid through those services. So, yeah, my, my whole um... thing, I think, with the fans, ever since, ever since like Napster came about, because I kind of grew up, mm-hmm. grew up like I had, I picked up Purple Rain on vinyl, right? When it mm-hmm. first came out, signing the Times, I picked up on vinyl. Um, because I'm, I'm at, at the age where that's, that's what it was. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, the thing is, is like kids today, they're, they're not willing to spend money on musicians like they do like i know kids that will well, i have a daughter you know she'll she'll she'll, mm-hmm. she'll tip a youtuber like 20 bucks mm-hmm. but she won't yeah. buy, buy buy physical record um yeah and, and so there's like and or you know kids buy 60 dollars, 70 dollars xbox and playstation mm-hmm. video games and they're yeah. not willing to spend money on bands and when i grew up like kids would go spend money on bands um but now it seems like entertainment is more other things. And so as mm. musicians, we have to find ways. Well, you know, as an electronic musician, I might be able to do a soundtrack 
for a rock star game if I can get in on that, you know. So maybe there's yeah. ways to kind of get into the new media and get, you know, somehow into that YouTube audience or into that gamer audience and find a way to get into that and find record companies to try to get us into different ways of marketing our music where we don't get like 0.004 of a penny. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where it's valued. But I think ever since like Napster and iTunes, the valuation of musicians, you know, our work has become very low uh, in terms of the, the, mm. the money value compared to when at the height of the industry, you know, even then musicians were getting like 10 cents off a record. They cost $10, mm. $10 record and you're getting 10 cents. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I guess it's like the same thing. <laughs> yeah. In a way, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the thing is, it is what it is. And I don't really see that turning around. I think it's the same with film. Like once people are used to a service like Netflix, it's hard to, I mean, who's, who's buying DVDs anymore if it's, if it's not something very specific that you can't find anywhere else. It's the same with music. I don't think the trend is going away from that. There, there might be different platforms. Spotify might you know, vanish eventually and something else will come around. Um, but I think the trend is, is going more, even more towards this. Yeah, the only other thing and I so, found, yeah. found is like vinyl. Like if you, mm -hmm. you can create yeah. like a little micro niche with vinyl, right? So, like, yeah. if I go to New York City and I show up in a club with, like, 100 vinyl copies of my record, I can sell yeah. them for $30 each. And I can actually yeah. make more money on that 100, <laughs> 100 set of vinyls than I make on my Spotify for, like, a year. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it's crazy because I can make a little micro batch of 500 or 1,000 vinyls and make more money yeah. than I do if I did, like, 100,000 plays on spotify <laughs> yeah that's that's very true i know a, a little german lady that uh, not lady <laughs> a german label <laughs> um that does the same thing they have you know selected artists they they produce a lot of vinyl sometimes cassettes as well because there's a nostalgia for that um and and they you know there's they have a lot of people that are interested in that i think there is an opportunity for musicians to um to have a niche, like a smaller group of fans, maybe that are more interested in in you getting getting involved in a deeper level, and then um, providing them with all kinds of things that create a deeper relationship with the musician. Yeah, um, the majority, though, yeah. the majority will just listen and maybe not even click like or anything, or not even save. They will just listen and and like it, and that's it. And you never hear from them. <laughs> yeah, it's like your hardcore fans. They might buy a fanzine from you okay, yeah. if you build a fanzine they might buy buttons and posters and t-shirts and mm. vinyl and yeah. you, I've seen so many American small bands are actually they really have survived during COVID on t-shirts and, mm -hmm. and vinyl and tape cassettes and buttons and USB drives and physical stuff you know little fanzines that yeah. have pictures and posters that, that the, those fans are willing to buy that and yeah. like i said the small quantity of like a thousand of any of these things you can you actually make more money <laughs> yeah. than you do on your other stuff and so it's kind of like you can run your own website and actually do okay as a little small business mm. um it takes a lot of work to put the stuff together it takes you away from your music a little bit 
but um yeah it's all part of it you know to me it's like if you're trying to be independent that's part of it you know stuff that the record company used to do and now if you want to kind of take you know control then sometimes you have to find that that is uh where you have to go um if you're a creative person some of that stuff is fun i like the creativity of it you know and the art Mm. art associated with a vinyl you know you have to work with an artist you can put in you know their their lyric sheets and it kind of becomes a big project it becomes it's like a thing in itself it's like working on yeah i think it's cool but um yeah it's just sad that we can't make it the other way without that Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, it all has its pros and cons. I, you know, personally enjoy the marketing side of things as well, especially when you see that it brings results and you find, you know, listeners from from places you've never heard of um, and you have little fan bases, you know, in, in a country where you wouldn't have expected that they might like your music. Um, so uh, it's it's all relative. Like, obviously, I would love to spend all my day just making music, but... Um, some of the other stuff can be rewarding too. Yeah, so so you're 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 on track. You're for this year going into 2021. You're still on track doing like one song a month. Is your strategy going into 2021? Yeah, yeah. I I've actually like the last few weeks I've done one every three weeks, um, just to you know I I had this too much scheduled <laughs> because the thing is like I I'm quite. Um, like for me writing a song doesn't take that long it's usually like it it all comes up like it's like a suspense that builds up for a few days and then it kind of just rushes out so i yeah i i kind of have that ready when i when i need to produce something new and um it's i'm really looking forward to that so i just produce more than i can release <laughs> um and uh, so i've been keeping that rhythm and i intend to do so for the foreseeable that, that's an interesting thing because like I, I remember i was watching a documentary on prince and you know, i'm a big prince fan but um he, he one of the guys around him one of his um his uh, friends said that like prince felt like if he wrote a song he wrote a song and he felt like well this is today i want to release mm-hmm. it today because this is relevant to people today because i wrote it like this mm-hmm. and so he always wanted to release more than what the market could digest um just yeah. because he was like, you know, music was so much a part of him. And he lived in his recording studio was his house. Um, and, mm-hmm. and he just wrote all the time. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's writing like <laughs> four or five songs a day um, for most, mm-hmm. most of his life um, as a recording artist. And it just made this massive backlog um, that was hard yeah. to digest in his era. Now today, like it was, it's probably more digestible. Because you know, I, yeah. I, I picked up like the revert, the new version of Science Times. It's like eight hours long. <laughs> it has like all the stuff that he wanted to put out, um, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just interesting that today's market can seem to digest more. That you know, people are able to uh, you know accept an artist doing a song every every three weeks or every month. Uh, yeah, kind of like the fifties in the nineteen fifties. Motown, they would put songs out like every two weeks, every three weeks, you know, <laughs> and just because they wanted to see what was going to hit the wall. You know, they didn't know if it was going to yeah. work and they just keep on putting them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what it seems like is happening on Spotify. Like what you said, you have some that work, some that don't, and you just keep on doing it and see what works, you know? Yeah, you, you learn what the audience likes. And I'm not, you know, as I said before, I, I kind of want to do music firstly for myself. So I put out what I 
what I want to put out. But it's also very interesting for me to see how people react to my music. And so if I see there's a certain type of music that, um, that fans really love, then it inspires me to do something in the similar direction just because I, I get the feedback. So that's, that's quite interesting. You learn about yourself a lot as well during that process because you get so much feedback. Yeah, I think that's what's great about social media. Cause like you can immediately mm. see, you know, your Spotify numbers. You can see your iTunes number. You can see all these numbers right away. Mm. And and then you can, yeah. you can even have feedback coming into your social media, into your Instagram, your Facebook, your Twitter. And it's just, you know, you can go online with your fans and see your fans jump in and give you immediate feedback. If you do like an Instagram live or a Facebook live or a Twitch, it, it, I think it's just that that's what's really cool today about the technology I mean, I, I'm, i've been investing in more like online capabilities to do like green screens multiple camera angle shots and video mixers mm. just because if i can't go to new york and play then i might as well you know use my budget for going to new york to, to buy that stuff <laughs> yeah uh, that's, that's very true yeah you know yeah I, i'm looking into the whole streaming thing as well i definitely want to do a bit of that next year yeah, because yeah. there's so much things that today. The only thing I would like for a future state of music is to have like a Pro Tools live that allows you mm -hmm. to like integrate with another person's Pro Tools and actually record live. Mm. That, that, yeah. you know, with the latency issues, but you know, if somebody can figure it out with 5G and the new types of internet technologies to be able to go into your DAW be able to see a video of another person in their studio and live record albums like you're really there, you know? And I think that would be really, given COVID and other things that could happen beyond COVID, that that gives musicians, you know, that have their own home studios, the ability to collaborate in a way that we hadn't done before. Um, yeah. That would be really cool. I mean, I'm an IT guy, so I'm kind of... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would love that. That sounds like a great thing. Someone please invent this. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think we're too far off from that. I think the musicians have been, you know, talking about it. I've talked to a bunch of musicians in the last year. One of them told me there mm -hmm. was something kind of like it in a beta stage. Um, mm -hmm. There are people actually working on stuff like that. I tried it out, wasn't all the way there. But um, yeah, it, I think it's going to be coming. Um, so great, great talking to you. And uh, we are actually a part of Spotify and um, this, this is going to be on 11 podcast platforms when we publish it in the next hour, including Apple and radio public and overcast. So we're, once we publish, it goes out and migrates to 11 podcast platforms all over the world. And we will push it on our story on Instagram, which will have the Spotify version uh, as a clickable version that you can go right to that version mm -hmm. on Instagram. Cool. And we'll send you the link to Spotify, Apple, and Anchor within the next hour. We'll push this out. Perfect. So Sounds amazing. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. We'd love to talk to artists all over the world. If any other artists you know need uh, would like to be on a podcast, let them know we do this. And uh, I will definitely do that. Yeah, we, we like thank me, thanks so much for, for having me. It was a really, really great conversation. Oh, great. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Uh, what, what time is it there right now? Can, can, it's, like uh, it's 6 p.m. Oh, it's not so bad. No. <laughs> we're like 1, 1.05 p.m. New York City time. So All right. we're cool. So thank you very much for being on the show again. If you have uh, anything next thank year you. you want to talk about, we have people come on the show multiple times. So in a couple of months, six months or so, cool. if you want to be on back on, 
and just show people where you are and we'll talk about some of the other material at that point. Yeah. Sounds we great. Can do that. Amazing. Thank you so much.